Yes, this morning's reading is in Matthew chapter 18. And for those of you here who were here last week, I know it's the same reading as last week. It's not that I've missed something. Um, so Matthew chapter 18, uh, beginning to read from verse 15, and you can find it on page 985 in the church Bibles. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would treat a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he, said, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's just take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning that you know us 
better than we know ourselves and better than the people around us know us. And that is both awe-inspiring but also slightly concerning because you see the bits of our lives that we don't reveal to other people. But thank you for the amazing opportunity that your forgiveness brings. Would you come amongst us again by your spirit? Would you lead us out of captivity into freedom with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so about um, 13 or so years ago, I was coming to the end of the process of trying to work out whether I was called to be a vicar in the Church of England. And we'd had quite an exciting but a difficult couple of years in trying to work out whether that was uh, the right thing and God had called us and what that meant. And the final stage of becoming a vicar of the Church of England was to be invited to the opportunity for a conversation with the local bishop. And so Joe and I were invited, or your wife came with you, or husband came with you, if you happen to be a woman, and we were invited to meet up with a local bishop in his office to get his final sign of approval that somehow that we might be seen as sort of relatively okay in the kind of scheme of things. Well, Joe and I headed off uh, to the office, and we were having a good chat in his office when the subject of forgiveness came up. The bishop was sat there, and he started to talk about forgiveness. And the longer he started to talk about the forgiveness, the more irritated I was becoming. I mean, really irritated. And the longer he went on to talk about what he thought forgiveness was about, actually, within me was that sense of offence at lots of the things he was saying. Jo was sat next to me. She could feel me tensing up. Not because she just happens to know me, but, but also because she knew some of the things I think and believed and some of the things that have been part of my life. And quietly she inched a little bit closer on the scene and started to tap me by the foot to say, Tim, be quiet. Hold your tongue. Don't say anything. But as this conversation went on, I just couldn't stop myself. Until I just reached my way and said, I'm sorry, Bishop. I don't agree with you. It was a deathly silence. And I mean, one of those really awkward silences, not just a kind of, oh, someone sort of shared what they thought, that kind of thing that you should never say to a bishop. And there was a silence for about five seconds and I could feel Joe's breath sort of, she was frozen and stopped. And he turned around and said, well, you're very bold, aren't you? It's as if actually we would never disagree with somebody like that. I then attempted to explain to the bishop why actually I disagreed so fundamentally with lots of the things he was saying. How his explanation of what forgiveness was was so unsatisfactory to me. Not sure he was very convinced, if I'm honest. I'm not sure that that's what he was looking for. But you see, the reason it so got to me was this. So when you've experienced something of the wonder of forgiveness in your own life, when God has done something so radical in your life that it changes everything about how you live, then actually you don't want to see forgiveness sold short. Actually, it's quite offensive to be selling forgiveness short. And it doesn't matter whether you're the Pope, 
whether you're someone who feels they're the lowest of low or you happen like me to have worked in the NHS and people who think they're very important keep telling you what they think. If they're wrong, they're wrong. And the same applies to me. As we listen, as we teach, as we preach, actually part of your job is to work out what in that is of God and what need you need to take hold of and what you need to kind of quietly put to one side and say, Tim's lost the plot this week. But this morning, do you know the joy of forgiveness? Do you know it? Do you know what it means to be set free? When others have hurt you, when others have damaged you, and I can't believe that hasn't happened to anybody, is practicing forgiveness, I mean, you know, doing it, not thinking about it, part of our daily living, part of our daily lives? Don't need me to say that at the centre of Christianity is forgiveness. And actually, I would quietly say, if I'm allowed to be as bold as this, I actually think in our culture at the minute, I think offering and understanding forgiveness as a reality, not as an abstract concept, is something people are desperate for. Because we know what broken relationships are all about. We know that we can damage each other really seriously. And actually, most of us will have done that or have been on the receiving end of that to different levels. So, Lord, this morning, help me, help us to realize the wonderful gift of forgiveness. Many people, in my experience, and I've only been in Bath five years, come to Bath with looking for a good life. They feel that actually Bath is the kind of place they want to be but seem to find it incredibly elusive to find peace in all its forms and be able to be a forgive those who are around them and to receive the gift forgiveness, both from others but also from God alone. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. We live in a beautiful but fallen world that needs saving, needs healing, and the Christian story, as we know, and pretty much most of you will have heard this many times, God, in and through Jesus Christ and the Spirit, comes to bring healing and forgiveness to a world that is broken. Beautiful verses in 1 John 1. God comes to heal us, to cleanse us, to free us, if we're able to receive what he has to give. The passage that Stephen read, that we also read last week, is incredibly challenging if you particularly do the last part of that reading from 23 to 35. When Mary stood up to pray this morning, do you hear at the heart of that passage that there's compassion, that there's compassion at the heart of it? It's not just judgment, it's not just difficulty, that there's care. But also do you realize there is a settling of accounts. There is a sense of taking responsibility for our actions. There is forgive consequences to the choices we make of choosing to forgive or not forgive. They're not without consequences in our life, ever. How many times do we forgive? This morning, and I say this as much as I'm preaching to myself as I'm preaching, in a sense to you, have you released 
your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mum, your dad, your siblings, your bosses, your colleagues, your neighbours, your previous and current church leader, from the debts you're owed. I mean, you are owed. That is the reality. One thing I, by one reason I'm passionate about this particularly, is I used to be an accountant. There is an account. Are we clean? Are we clear? Has it been dealt with? Or is it still outstanding? Is the slate clean? Famous passage in Matthew 5, and you'll see as well in Luke 6, that we will know in the Sermon on the Mount, we get a clearer picture of God's kingdom. Forgive us our debts. And we're commanded to pass that on to others, as we see in this passage too. To pardon others for their sins against us. Yes, we know God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our salvation, for those who put their trust in Jesus, is secure. We spend eternity, our, our state before God is secure. But actually, we begin a lifetime of being changed and transformed into his image through that. We begin a process of transformation when we do that. Really simple illustration. Do you know if a beggar who lives on the streets gets left 10 million quid in a will, his standing is one of tremendous fortune. He is wealthy. He knows it. But his state is still living in a cardboard box with holes in it. Change is needed to live in the light of your new inheritance. And we're called to live in the light of our new life and our inheritance as people who've received mercy, received grace, and received forgiveness. You know, none of us can undo the wrongs that have been done to us. And wrongs will have been done to us. But we're called to settle accounts with those who've hurt us and damaged us so that we can reach a place of healing and freedom. And today and next week, is an opportunity to do a little bit of work in our own hearts and in our own lives and say, have you got outstanding accounts, either with God or with other people? And is it time to do something about that? And of course, you know, you read any stuff from psychologists or social researchers and they'll say, you know, that the abundance of bad behavior that's part of living in this real world, the selfishness, the complaining, the moaning, the gossip, the abuse, in all its forms, comes from the fact that we are damaged. Human beings are damaged, but how do we deal with it when it comes our way? How do we deal with it? When we tend to get wounded, I don't know about you, there are kind of generally three very simple ways in which we tend to deal with it. Firstly, some of us will just stew. We'll stew over the other people's offences against us, and we'll constantly replay the tape in our heads of what other people have done. And the hurt doesn't get better. Secondly, we'll bury the hurts. We'll try and build up defenses. We'll put them down emotionally, mentally, physically. And we'll make vows never to make the same mistake again. But the tricky bit about that is that we can bury all that stuff, but ultimately that becomes a prison ultimately that does um, and encase us, I suppose, is a way of saying it. And thirdly, you can get even. 
we can spend a lot of time lashing out and seeking to be constantly in control, getting on top of everybody else, so that other people, we don't get the bad, bad bits of other people's behavior. And that's very common in lots of long-term relationships and marriages. Part of our protection is we seek to prevent ourselves being hurt by other people. But God longs for us to bring our lives to him and to find healing and to find forgiveness. But you'll see in the Bible, the Bible has lots of images of roots, fruits, seeds, and soil. And I'm just going to whiz through this this morning. I just want to offer a really simple way of understanding. In Deuteronomy 29, and also we'll find in Hebrews, we see the fact that a root has become poisonous, producing poisonous fruit. And the problem is to do with the stubbornness we find in Deuteronomy of the human heart. And the good news for us is that while that situation may be the case, is that God has done something to enable us to be free from that. So here's a picture that I hope will help us understand a little bit more of what is going on and how actually embracing forgiveness may help us to become free. So let me just pray for a second. Father, I ask this morning that you would, by your spirit, bring to mind and bring to our hearts and bring to our lives things where we are still bound up, where unforgiveness still sits in our hearts. Would you show us, individually, but also as a church, areas of unforgiveness, and we ask afresh that where we've swept things under the carpet, we'd have the courage to bring them into your light. Amen. So on your, on your way in, one of the things, um, you don't need it this minute, but you'll find, I, I gave you a little handout um, that I'm going to quickly go through, um, and then we're going to come to the end, and I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of work in quiet on your own. Don't worry, there's no sharing. You don't need to kind of uh, share. But here, I just want to talk you through a simple process for understanding sometimes what happens in our lives and why that's the way it is. So the thing is, when we're really hurt and um, we're really in tr- or when we, we're really sorry, when we're really and truly secure. We've got really healthy relationships. Someone, someone can pretty much say anything to us and we don't feel damaged when somebody says that to us. We know they love us. They constantly come to us with that sense of love, not with a sense of trying to damage us. And they don't do damage to us. But we also know lots of things do. In the parable of the sower, there needs to be good soil for good plants to produce good fruit. And it's a good soil that determines the growth. In that parable, we see that a good soil is about the, the state of the hearts of the listeners. Good hearts are primarily nurtured in life, as most of us probably appreciate, through the love of those around us, the love of parents, the love of the environment that we're brought up in. Were we accepted? Were we affirmed? Were we encouraged? We took help to understand the difference between good decisions and bad decisions, about something about loving discipline. But the difficulty is all of us, none of us, grew up in a perfect world. And, and sometimes the kind of wrong stuff that's being done um, to us becomes fertile ground for hurts to grow and disappointments to destroy.
So it becomes there's a fertile ground in our hearts for God to begin a work of bringing security and uh, healing into our hearts. Secondly, the seeds of offence. Obviously, you know many, many things that people can do to damage us and to hurt us. Seeds of offence take root in our lives and produce both a fruit and a root of bitterness. You know, we know in our culture that we can be incredibly cruel to one another. Sometimes we think, no, 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 everybody's fine, but when the chips are down, people's backs against the wall, we suddenly as people behave in a way that we thought, oh my word, where did that come from? And essentially those seeds of offence are both in things people do and those who, that, that, things that they don't do. So we grow up with a sense of being loved, of parents who are loving but also not perfect. Everybody's in that position. But the critical words, the harsh words, the words of, of people who slightly misguidedly are trying to conform you into someone else's image, the words of our friends, the actions of our friends and our families become a fertile ground for confusion to take place. And they leave a mark on our lives, those offences. Obviously, I'm talking about small things, but there are many people who've had to enjoy extraordinary damaging things in their lives. And those seeds of offence take root in their lives. But it isn't just about what's done. It's also about what's not done. People are unable to speak love or to affirm or to bless your life, an absence of love, an absence of affirmation, an absence of acceptance, an absence of encouragement, an absence of being present even, just to listen. I know that's something I still struggle with my kids. All of us look for unconditional love and think we long for unconditional love. We look for that care and that acceptance. And in that absence, that becomes a place sometimes where offence gets to get seeds of offence get sown in our lives. Thirdly, then the root of bitterness. If no action is taken, the seeds go down, the shoots start going up. And all of us know this. We can smile sweetly, and I know it's slightly sarcastically, we can say as we want, oh, have a good day, when actually inwardly we're in chaos. We can kind of put a face on life, but actually inwardly we know in in us there is a war zone going on. In our own emotions, in our own minds. And actually we know from experience when people have done bad things to us and we've sought to get free, actually when bitterness does start to take root in our lives, it can spread in a sense like a cancer and literally destroy the very essence of what God has created you to do. God intended each person for good. He longs to build us up and to enable us, but actually seeds of offense can can actually take that away. Here's some words of Nelson Mandela, who um, as part of the kind of unification process in South Africa, said this, resentment is like drinking poison, then hoping it will kill your enemies. Resentment is like drinking poison, and then hoping it will kill your enemies. However, forgiveness liberates the soul. Importantly, it removes fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. 
Throughout scripture, we see all sorts of instances about the damage bitterness does to the whole of us. Read some of the social research as well if you're not sure what you believe about scripture. Our emotions, our thoughts, simply flow out of the fact that our hearts have been damaged. And fourthly, uh, and lastly, um, I'm sure you know, you've watched, you may not have watched many programs where um, you've seen a volcano erupt. But actually, if you're alongside or you know somebody who's been through some really difficult stuff, you can sort of be alongside them. And it's, I remember when in the, in the 90s, I remember there's a, I think probably the first time I saw it was like Mount Etna. Um, suddenly from being very sort of calm and easy, suddenly from nowhere, these fits and bursts of anger come from nowhere. It's like I've been trying to suppress all this muck, all this dirt, all this bad stuff, and it's just too much. And then, boom. It erupts. We're unable to contain the pressure in our lives, and we blow. You know, not, there's probably not a single person here who doesn't want to long for a community where there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's gentleness, and there's self-control. You know, and we have the capacity for that, but we've also got to recognize there's some other stuff that needs digging out as well to enable that to flourish and to enable that to grow. We need to take some time to tend to the garden. And our words and our actions will ultimately show who we are. You can put on a mask, you can play the game as long as you want to, but ultimately it will come out. One of the things I'm hugely grateful for amongst many things is actually my mum was somebody who was very quiet but actually was an incredibly discerning person. And she'd kind of chat to me, and I'd kind of think, what earth is she going on about? But then sort of six months later, a year later, two or three years later, a whole load of stuff would happen. I think, oh, okay. We get captivated by the surface. But beneath it, God longs to get to work with some of those broken areas of our lives and to see us find freedom again. So in a sense, I've spent this morning laying out the problem, so to speak, but this morning, so my, my question really is this, is that we'll spend more time next week thinking about how we move through that. But do you reckon you've got an issue with forgiveness this morning? Because God wants to meet us in that place and to tenderly get to work. But the question is this, is do you want to open the books of your life and trust God to get to work in it? Or do you want to keep him at a distance? God is able to cleanse, to restore, to heal, to forgive, that will change yours and my life. A final story. It's a story from somebody I know. Um, this is his story, by the way. When I looked at the gaping wound at the top of my leg, my stomach turned. There was a gaping hole exposing pussy flesh, infected flesh with red and inflamed edges round it. Then God spoke to me. If you will forgive and release, let's call a Sue, then I will heal your wound. 
And the question I had was this, after all that she had done, why should I? Why should I forgive them? I felt owed. I'd given her everything. I'd really loved her. I'd been faithful to her. And now she'd left me. I was angry, I was hurt and disappointed. A month or so later, she was with somebody else. And when I thought of her, I felt sick in the pit of my stomach. Where even when others spoke of her, even in mentioning her name, I winced. And when I saw her, it was even worse to be in her company. Time, the old proverb, time is a great healer, didn't actually improve anything. Now God was asking me to forgive Sue. So as I began to pray, I had a picture of the top of my wounded leg. And whenever I thought about her, it was like the devil was taking a knife and digging it into my flesh. And the pain was excruciating. So I prayed and forgave her. And released her from any sense that she owed me anything. I also asked God's forgiveness for being bitter and jealous. As I saw this, I saw a hand come over the wound in my leg, and as it passed, the wound disappeared. Touch it, the voice said. So I did touch it, and there was no pain. It was a bit sensitive, but there's no scar. Your emotions are healed again, and you can love and be hurt again. At that moment, I knew the account had been settled. God had forgiven me too, and I had received it. And when I saw Sue again, there was no anger, no bitterness, no emotional upheaval, simply healed and whole again. So this morning, this is an opportunity to just do a little bit of work before God. Um, I'm going to ask you to do that. You'll find if you take hold of your sheet, there's kind of a little bit of a model if you want to go away and do a bit of work this week. I've left it. But on the back side of the, of the sheet, there's a little bit of uh, paper I've left blank. I'm going to be, in a minute, we're going to be still. I'm going to pray and we're just going to have a bit of quiet. And I'm going to ask you to just ask God in a conversation. Are there people or other situations I need to forgive this morning? Where actually accounts haven't been settled. And you might find it helpful to write on that. You may just want to sit quietly and do that in your head. But get into a conversation with God to say, Lord, I want to receive all you have for us. To clear the debts. And to start the process of repentance and forgiveness. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning that you are trustworthy and that you are true. And you long for us to trust us by being open about where our lives are and offering to you our lives. Thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the workings of our hearts, our minds, our emotions. 
And Father, by your Spirit, I pray you'd help us this morning to settle some accounts. Father, thank you that in Christ that you proclaim us free. This morning, if we're not sure about that or we've never trusted you with that, we kind of pray this morning that we might turn afresh to you and seek your forgiveness and to know that actually you have wiped things clean for those who turn to you in forgiveness and repentance. But we also then pray, Heavenly Father, would you continue the process of setting us free, cleaning us up, mending our hearts, your finger on certain any aspects in our lives that are really important today people or situations or things that have happened to us Father, would you help us to unload some of the baggage that we're carrying around in our lives when we're too stubborn to, to give ground. Father, would you soften our hearts afresh this morning to take hold of our inheritance as your children. as the forgiven children of the living God. Wash us, make us whiter than snow, creating us a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit in us. Cast us not away from your presence, O Lord, Take not your Holy Spirit from us and restore to us the joy of your salvation. Amen.